You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou... Will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, on this Sunday of joy, as the readings of Advent turn from the parousia and your second coming to your first Advent, your first coming in a manger in Bethlehem. We are greeted by the story of John the Baptist, which is perhaps perplexing to us. Bring us to a right understanding of it, Lord. Let it build us up in faith toward you, that we may be ever more faithful. And being faithful, show ever greater love to our neighbors, to our loved ones, and even to our persecutors and enemies. We need your power to do this, Lord, and we pray for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few years ago, um, I read an article, an editorial, actually, by a professor, a seminary professor. And um, it was called No Place for Doubt. And in it, he recounted the fact that a few years before, he had lost his eight-year-old son to leukemia. And in the evangelical church in which he worshipped, the praise songs that filled most of their Sunday mornings just felt out of place. His heart was hollow and hungry. And he felt an incredible need to go someplace where it wasn't all, in his words, happy, clappy music, <laughs> where, he could, where he could express what was going on in his heart, that there was a distance between his head and his heart for the first time in his adult life. And he found a church in the local newspaper, had an advertisement that said, Doubters welcome! And he's like, that is the place for me right now. And, uh, and off he went, and he said, unfortunately when I arrived, what I discovered was that doubters were welcome to get up to the level of faith as quickly as possible. And it wasn't really a place to ask or have answered serious questions. Now, by the time he'd written this article, he was recovered in his faith. But he recounted deeply and with great pain, obviously, the distance between his head and his heart in that dark season, where the truths he had been not only trained in, but it was his responsibility and his job to go in and teach future pastors, go out and teach their congregations about the love of God and the providence of God and the joy that can be found in the Lord through Jesus Christ. He still believed them maybe up here, but there was a huge distance between what he was feeling in his heart. This is similar to John the Baptist in today's reading. Ever since I read that editorial, when I come around to this reading of Scripture, I think of it. Because here's John the Baptist. He's been out there. He has a commission from God. He's out there preaching boldly and strongly. And for his trouble, he ends up thrown in jail. 
This is not a pleasant jail where you, know, you get television privileges and a free college degree if you stay long enough. And in fact, we know how the story's going to go. Pretty soon he's going to get his head handed to him on a plate, quite literally. And in this moment of great trial and crisis, he says, is this really the one? I mean, this is my cousin, after all. You know, I'm, it's not in Scripture, but I've always imagined my cousins, and if one of them got exalted to it, after all the family you know, reunions and things we did, I thought to myself, he just got this, are you really the one we've been waiting for? Or are we waiting for another? Did I do all this for nothing? He expresses his doubt through his disciples who he sends off to take the message to Jesus. Turns out doubt is a normal part of the walk of faith. Something that Christian colleges are starting to get wise to, finally. At Bethel University in Indiana, Mishawaka, Indiana to be precise, um, they have a mandatory class where kids can go and just... It's not really a graded class. It's just a chance to express the questions you've never gotten to ask growing up in church. And um, recently at one of these seminars, here's some of the the kids write their questions on cards that go into a box anonymously, then they can read them. And uh, one kid wrote, "Does God really love me?" Another wrote, "Am I good enough?" Three wrote, "Can a loving God really send unbelievers to hell?" Six wrote, why does God answer some prayers and not others? Twelve wrote, is Christianity the only way? Twenty wrote, is God really real? Sociologists love to study churches and they love to study students. So they, there's a woman named Jennifer Carter who's now pr- assistant professor of, of leadership at Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. She grew up in church and went to youth group and did all the churchy things and then she went to a Christian college and she experienced doubts. Doubts which she wasn't able to give voice to until she ended up going to Azusa Pacific University in California for her um, graduate work. She's very interested in this topic of, of how kids lose their faith or deconstruct if, if you follow the YouTube terminology these days. And um, so she started just looking at it and asking questions. She asked questions of over 14,000 college students at 136 universities. And what she found shouldn't surprise us. She found that kids who go off to secular universities start having a crisis of faith immediately their freshman year. But by their junior year, they're pretty well stabilized and know where they, where they stand on things. Kids who go to Christian colleges, on the other hand, tend to start out really strong, but by their junior year, they're a complete mess. And the reason for the difference between the two experiences is that in the secular university, the kids feel empowered to ask their questions. Now, sometimes it's in an unhealthy environment where someone's got an agenda for their life that isn't necessarily the best thing for them. But in a healthy situation, they go to the professor who's the the atheist or agnostic on Tuesday morning, and they go to the youth ministry or the college ministry on Thursday night, and they're listening to different perspectives. They can air their questions, 
and come around to a resolution of their doubt. Kids in the Christian college don't feel they can express those doubts because the church is uncomfortable with doubt. Isn't the church's job to promote faith? But here's the thing. In biblical terms, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is unfaith. It's an actual word in the New Testament, which we don't translate well because we don't have it in English. It's unfaith. Unfaith is the persistent posture of saying, no matter what evidence I see, I will not let God be God. I will not let him be Lord over my life. Unfaith is the posture of Satan in Milton's Paradise Lost when he says, it's better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. Doubt, on the other hand, is a crisis. It's, it's finding the limits of the faith we have and realizing they don't serve us beyond that limit. So we need to rethink in order to grow. In fact, what Jennifer Carter says after doing her study, she said, crisis is a precursor to growth. We can see that in life generally and think across your life and you know this to be true. The crises have given birth to greater growth in your life. She says, we can see that in life generally, but in faith especially. And what makes the difference between the resolution of doubt growing into deeper faith or someone walking away from God entirely is that they can have someone to make the journey with. That they can have an environment where they can ask questions and know that the questions are welcome. But hear other people's perspectives, other people who love them and care for them and want the best for them. Maybe get introduced to resources they didn't know existed. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating that some universities are starting to get smart about this. Jesus averts for us in today's reading that wisdom is known by her children. Meaning, in another context, he talks about knowing a tree by its fruit. <laughs> and some of these schools are getting wise to this. They're trying to create, to use the current terminology, safe spaces for the kids to open up and share their doubts. In fact, here's what um, Laurel Bunker, who's the vice president of Christian formation at a different Bethel University in Minnesota says, she says, we know the cycle that students experience. We don't fear the struggle. What we're more concerned with is when students struggle in silence. An open environment at home where our youth can express their doubts and seek constructive answers to them and a school environment where they can do the same a peer group where they can do the same. This is, this is the environment in which deep, rich faith that can meet the challenges of life grows. As one crisis after another, it grows beyond the bounds it already had. And as fascinating is that Jesus knows this. Not, not that we should be surprised. But when John's disciples come expressing John's doubts... Does Jesus rush to reassure them as your average pastor? No, 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 no. Let me give you a thousand answers. So you can be sure you know what you believe. No, no. We don't want to... No. He doesn't do that. He just lets them stand around and watch for a while. And he heals. 
He casts out demons. He gives sight to the blind. And then he looks at those disciples of John and says, go back and tell John what you've seen. And what they've seen is Jesus living out the prophecy from Isaiah that he read in his first public act of ministry following his baptism. You're seeing that prophecy of Isaiah that the lame shall walk and the, the sight shall be given to the blind and the poor shall have good news preached to them. You're seeing all of that played out in front of them. And then he says, go tell John. The encouragement of Jesus is come and see. Come and investigate. Come get your doubts answered. And the beauty of being a traditional Christian is that that's exactly what we can still do today. Do you know that scientists the world over are coming around to the conclusion just based on science that God must have something to do with what's going on in this. <laughs> I encourage you to go look, pick, pick up a copy of Stephen Meyer's the, the Return of the God Hypothesis if you want to see this. Anthony Flew, one of the most eloquent defenders of atheism from a philosophical standpoint in his 80s, finally said, after a lifetime of promoting and arguing just vociferously with people of faith, in his 80s came around and said, you know what, the evidence from science is too great, there has to be a God. It takes a courageous man to rebuff his entire life's work. <laughs> but he wasn't a man of unfaith. He was a man of doubt who hadn't had his doubting questions answered yet. The professor who lost his son in that editorial lamented that he really wanted someone to walk through his season of doubt with him as he found the answers he needed to find. The Lord has given us to one another to take that journey together. None of us, we won't all of us be doubting at the same moment. And all of us have different life experiences. So a life experience that's new and tragic and, and makes me ask questions for me is something that my brother or sister in Christ has already been through and they can share with me what they've learned as they walk through that season. If the church isn't a safe place for us to express our doubts and seek honest answers, people will go elsewhere. And the answers they find may be more about urban legend than they are about the true, the beautiful, and the good we can still see what God has done, what God is doing, and what God has promised to do. And in our moments of doubt, have our faith regenerated, renewed, restored, that we may walk with even deeper faith until finally our faith gives way to sight. For this we can praise our God who took on human flesh and walked among us. Let us now pray to him. Gracious Lord Jesus, you are the eternal word of the Father and yet you took on 
all the frailty it means to be one of us. You experienced hunger, foot soreness at the end of a long day, indignity, the shame and pain of the cross. And in Gethsemane, upon the cross, you even cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, we ask for your blessing upon us who walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Renew our joy by allowing us to ask our doubting questions. See in us not unfaith, but faith seeking to be born. Help us support one another that we may be ever more deeply affected by the good news that we may look to you as Lord and turn in loving service toward the world for which you gave your life. This we ask in your precious name, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art. Be thou my best art in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life.